You're listening to Spool and Tell, a very dorky movie podcast. We take you now to a random conversation already in progress. No, what was your first introduction to uh, Disney? When I was growing up, it was, well, my mom took me to see uh, Mary Poppins at Radio Ooh. City Music Hall. Oh, you lucky uh, duck. Yeah, so it was just like, and it was a like Christmas show. So there was like a movie, and then there would be the Christmas show afterwards. And I think I was like four or five years old, and I saw it at um, Radio City. And then, I, and then we grew up uh, with the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights from mm-hmm. uh, eight to nine. So growing up with that. And then around, and then that's how I saw, saw scenes from the movies. But then there was like a summer, I think it was like 1972 or something, here in New York at um, Lincoln Center, there was a Walt Disney Film Festival for the for, for like July and August. And they, not just each week, but every few days, it was like a collection of movies that they just re-released and aired at this special festival on the big screen. So this was before VCR and all that. So that was the first time I actually saw some of these movies like Pinocchio and Snow White and Nutty Professor and, mm. and, and things like that, because it was the first time, and uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, like actually on the big screen. And that was the first time I actually saw it. And then came well into the 80s. That's when, you know, the videotapes started coming out. But you had to wait like every seven years. So, you know, I saw, I remember going to the theater and seeing the re-release of like Fantasia or Cinderella or Snow or or Sleeping Beauty, because you just had to wait every seven years because Walt's theory was like every seven years, that's when a new generation would crop up. And so put it out there. So I think what's, what's interesting about Pinocchio in particular is this was the movie that got the biggest bump, I think, out of all of them from the re-releases. Because on when Pinocchio was initially... Re- blah, 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 wow, I'm off to a bad start today. When <laughs> Pinocchio was initially released in 1940, it was not a hit. It was actually a really big failure for the Disney company. And it the, the way that it's made so much money now... I mean, it's if you add up all of its box office success, now it has made $164 million against its $2 million budget. Wow. But at the time, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's all from re-releases, which initially it hadn't occurred to Walt Disney to do. I can't remember who pitched it to him or when, but eventually right. they realized that... Yeah, I think it was, right, it was, after, just the I think it was right after the war was, was done, and then they could get back to uh, actually making features. And I think that's yeah. when somebody suggested, you know, just re-release the, you know, re-release the movies again. And that's when Pinocchio got this brand new audience. It was like, ooh, this is so nice. Because well, yeah. people wanted another, like, you know, Snow White. So, yeah. And, well, uh, what's fascinating about the movie is how technically amazing it looks. Oh, yeah. Like the underwater yeah. scenes, too. Like, you look at it and go, this is, like, it's it's art instead of a movie. That Like, the fact that it had the multiplane camera and you could actually look like you're going through um, the city is, is stunning. Yeah, it's now, Nick, gorgeous. Nick, I should just say, uh, you started the conversation before I was entirely sure that we were rolling, rolling. Okay. We never said action. So I'm going to keep all of what we just said in. I assume Again, so. this is our 
This is our third recording. We still haven't figured out the rules yet for how to do this show. <laughs> rules? Um, there aren't no rules on this. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, so far that has been the case. So I think we just started the episode. But okay. I just want to verify with everyone. I want to make it clear. Well, I don't welcome want, everybody. You know, I don't, yeah, I welcome want no confusion podcast. over when people are are being published. Yes, welcome uh, to the podcast the most, with no name and no beginning. It, no, I think we just no I, we end. just found the name. We just found the name. It's the, it's called the most professional podcast. I think that's <laughs> I like the that. only fair name for this show. The yeah, most professional podcast because it says it all in the name. That's yeah. all that you need to know. Uh, I am J D Hansel. I I cued him right when he was taking a glass of yeah, water. Shame on you. Shame on you. Let's start again. <gasps> Take two. I am J D Hansel. I'm Bernadette Peters. <laughs> He's Nicholas Lemon. And our uh, guest today, today we're talking about 1940s Pinocchio. And our guest today is the fabulous Noel McNeil. And the crowd goes wild. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, uh, should, I, and, should I list? And and by the way, last I got a note from our our lovely editor that I I am too close to the mic sometimes. So there's a lot of breathy wind in previous episodes. So I am I am now like a good six inches away from the mic. <laughs> Whereas I am getting closer to the mic because I have a habit of getting too far away. So we are fixing so many things. Every episode, we make all of these great improvements. And um, you, the listener, the... get to be a part of it. <laughs> it's so interactive. My stars. You're with us every step of the way. Wow. Uh, should, should we list uh, credits, Noel? So that, I mean, I, I feel like people who would be listening to me and Nick would already know who let's, you are and what you've done. Let's embarrass but... him. I also have a story to embarrass him from a meeting last week. But you go ahead. You do your thing, and then I'll share my story. Okay, briefly running through the the credits that I've found. Uh, they include Sesame Street, Follow That Bird, of course, various, various uh, Muppet things. Uh, I see Eureka's Castle, Great Space Coaster. I see uh, Dog City, the series, which I always forget is a thing. Yes. <laughs> I see The Puzzle Place, Bear in the Big Blue House. Never heard of that one. I know. Uh, so Ubi, Book of Pooh. <laughs> Uh, of course, last week tonight with John Oliver, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Julie's Green Room. You've done everything, Noel. You've done everything. And all of the cool puppet projects. The only puppet that you have never performed is Pinocchio, and now you're getting your vengeance. I know. It's you're also you're also forgetting. You're also forgetting. He is on a U.S. Yeah. postage stamp. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Your your cameo in the United States Postal Service. Yes. From last week tonight with John Oliver and our attempts to raise money for the Postal Service, which is a whole other podcast story <laughs> a whole um, other podcast he, he used several characters from the show and uh two of the characters are two characters i perform one is jeff the disease long in a yellow cowboy hat and the other is the uh giant talking squirrel mr nutterbutter so yes people have bought these stamps <laughs> with two of my characters on there and have you? Did you ever talk to John Oliver about the fact that he stole your "Welcome, Welcome, Welcome" intro, the patented <laughs> intro to Bear in the Big Blue House? No, have never, never questioned John about that. Um, I don't even know if he's even aware of it, but it's really funny. But uh, the very first time Mr. Nutter Butter was on, um, I kind of he didn't chase John off, but he just kind of like I. The goal I always try to do is to make John laugh. And so, right. and so during the run-throughs, John never sees the stuff. So he never, he didn't see Mr. Nutterbutter. So during the run-through, I came out and I did this thing where I had my uh, hand was a, I had my hand in the left hand and then my hand would be in the mouth. So then I could also control like the head and I 
made the helmet. The listeners appreciate the visual aid, by yes, the way. Yes, exactly. And the helmet was loose enough so this way I could actually turn his head and jerk it around like, yeah. like a squirrel. And that's what yeah. I, did. I did. And I just like started like looking at John in the camera and just jerking around. And John just lost it. <laughs> he couldn't talk. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> made John laugh. And so then for the, for the taping, did it again and then started looking at John. And then John just like ran off. And that's when Mr. Nutterbutter just sat down in his chair. And, just like, <laughs> and so then they used that. So, and now it's a GIF. If, if you look at it, yep. it it's a GIF. And yeah. um, for last week tonight, they, they tweeted like, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to last nut tonight. Oh, no, last week to yep. nut. That was it. Last week to nut. Yeah, I'm your host, go. Mr. Nutterbutter. So it was cool. Well, so JD, do either of you as, as oh, yes, Nick. So So the embarrassing story I have for Noel before we get into the Pinocchio. Yeah. Right. Before we get into the reason why you're listening to us to begin with, folks. (laughs) Yeah. So Noel and I are working on a project together, and uh, we spoke with uh, we spoke with a very high high profile person last week, and I won't name the person, but the person's about 30 years of age, and so we were all going through our you know what we've done and you know all the projects we've done, and then Noel just very casually said, you know. I was bear and bear the big blue house. Well, this individual just absolutely lost it. Like <laughs> the majority of the conversation was supposed to be about the project, but a lot of it was actually about fanning out over Noel. <laughs> I, I brought and I didn't bring it up just to toot my own horn. It was like just making a point because this project would involve puppets and humans and the different styles of puppets. And I said that there's such a thing as a body puppet. And I said, an example was I did this show a few years ago and it was called Bear in the Big Blue House. And I was going to continue. And I, cause I didn't think he actually knew it. And that's when he just like, oh my God. It's just like, you know, and I was shocked. I had no idea that the guy knew. <laughs> so he's on board regardless because like, you know, anything Bear wants to do, I'll do it too. <laughs> <laughs> he actually said that. Yes, he actually said that's that. a quote. So, no, Anything Bear wants yeah. to do, I'll do it. So I was like, okay, he signed. <laughs> so like I had been talking to this individual for like I don't know two months, like the representatives. And if I had have known mm-hmm. that Noel was the key to it, I would yes. have just said, hey, we've got Noel from Bear in the Big Blue House. It's like, yeah, I had no idea I was the the secret weapon to all this. So, <laughs> yeah, we're really only a few years away from Hollywood being run by enough people who grew up with Bear that you can be the most powerful person in the entertainment industry. Or maybe yeah. some of them will actually so. be in a position where they could actually bring the show back. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or just re-air the ones that exist. <laughs> yeah, sure, that would be swell too. Yes, my son, um, my son 15 going on 42, he got me on uh TikTok. He suggested because when you're quarantined, it's like you try to think of things to do. He said, Dad, you should go on TikTok. And I said, what's a TikTok? And after a two-minute patronizing explanation, he said, uh, <laughs> you should use your bear puppet. I said, why? He said, because millennials are on TikTok and they love bear. And I was like, really? Because I had, I had no idea. So I did this little intro video. And then it just like just exploded with all these people like touching their like synapses in the back of their brain suddenly realizing oh my god i remember this show thank you for my childhood and all that so like i've done like little videos of like with bear and uh he's like uh and i did one yesterday uh during the time of this recording where bear was uh encouraging you to like you know wear a mask and remember it goes over your nose it was like pretty quick and um you didn't get as many hits as i thought it would because usually when i do something with bear it gets like 
within like minutes, it just yeah. gets thousands and thousands and thousands. Right. This didn't get in. He's, and he said, it's, it's the algorithm. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's, it's something, you know, important, something serious. It's like nobody, <laughs> nobody really gloms onto that. But if you did something trendy, and I've done to prove, I did this yeah. thing, there was a trend thing where it was called the mirror wipe and you like wipe oh, yeah. and then wipe away and something changed. So I did that with me wiping it. And as I wiped away, Bear appeared and then wiped it again and he was gone. It was me. And that, that's gotten almost like a million views. Wow. It's ridiculous. So he said, you need to do more trends. So we started looking through trends and like, <laughs> what, what is this one? It's like, oh, there's like, there's like chores. And I said, like, well, Bear could clean the house because he did a song called Clean the House. And it's like, he's, and my son was like, well, that might work. And then this was this one where it's something like you, you, like you, you, it's like you think you can hurt me, but, and then people put a caption on of like what's actually happened. And so it's like, it's like, maybe this one. And I was like, really? It's like, you think you could, you think you can hurt me, but, and I was like, and then Bear should do it. It's like, it's like, it's like well, this is not really Bear's thing. I mean, what would Bear say? It's like, you think you'd hurt me and then put the caption, but my show's still not on Disney Plus. And so, <laughs> and my son just lost it. He just laughed so hard. It was just like, yes. I was like, no, we are not doing that. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> We're keeping it uplifting, <laughs> keeping it cheerful, keeping it silly. <laughs> not going for the obvious truth. So there you go. So, but I have a puppet do, of my puppet. <laughs> I, I do think that of all of the things that I saw as a kid, sorry for making you feel old. I don't worry, really? I'm the bears too, because I feel young. So you know, we all feel weird now. But well, I think from my childhood, the the one line that is probably burned into my brain more than anything else is just Tutter saying, "Can't dance, bear. Can't dance." <laughs> Something yep. about that one episode stuck with me. That's I it. think because that one must have been on a VHS tape. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, so sure I could somebody, watch it a lot. Sure, somebody's ringtone out there too. Just like, is there any like... reason why Tutter always sounded like he was flirting with Bear? It was always that <laughs> hello, Bear. <laughs> well, it was like, the, and, well, it was like. like Tutter was Bear's roommate. I mean, not many people realize it, but it's like Tutter, like, you know, lived downstairs. So, but it's like, but um, I don't know. Maybe it was like rodent puberty. Maybe that's why his voice kept cracking. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm don't just know. surprised that they never went out to dinner just to see if, if there were sparks. Uh, now, since <laughs> I have, I'm just getting started through the terrible jokes I have written in this uh, <laughs> huge stack of notes. But I was wondering, since we're, we're talking about a, a movie that is about a puppet, yes. and, you know, both of you are professional puppeteers, have either of you had any experience with puppets that came to life? Is that a, is that a problem in the industry? That, and, <laughs> and what do unions think about puppets that are performing for themselves without puppeteers? I thought you were going to say, like, experience with marionettes, because yes. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't do a marionette to save my life. I mean, that is a whole different skill set of puppetry well, right. I never got to do, so. Here's the thing that you have to understand. Those puppet characters are always alive. Sure. Whether you have them on your hand or not. So for you to make okay. a distinction, that's a very bigoted thing to say. Like, as if there's some <laughs> yeah. separation. I'm so like, sorry. No, listen, you've said it. We know your position. Okay. okay. Um, it is what it is, you know? You'll get the flack for it. <laughs> okay, I fully accept responsibility for my remarks. To be fair, whenever puppets have to work with humans, like some of them refer, refer to us as fleshies, 
or organics. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this really kind of introduces the idea of, I mean, I, I feel like there have been so many movies about, if not living puppets, at least living puppet like toys. And this one is really introducing the idea and establishes that there is this weird in-between space oh, yeah. between being a puppet, which is by definition something that is performed by someone else, and being a boy. Yeah. Like, it is, uh, like, at a certain point, if he can walk, if he can talk, I'm inclined to say that he's a boy. I really don't know what else it is that he wants yeah. from this. Well, I, don't, like, this is, I don't know. This was know decades before Toy Story. So it's yeah, just like, <laughs> it's like he, you know, comes, comes to life and... Um, Whenever I've done workshops, um, demonstrations of puppets for, I wrote two books. One was called Box, and the other was called Ten Minute Puppets. And I would do workshops at schools and libraries and and uh, bookstores, and I would uh, tell people um, about puppeteering and, and and puppetry, and that being a puppeteer, you know, you you bring the inanimate to life. That's what it is. It's like animating the inanimate, something that couldn't walk or talk or move on its own so yeah so it's like just instilling that and also um it's related to uh, manipulation which is yeah. a lot like you know being a kid because it's like you know it's like th- that's the other puppet in your life your parents so it's like man- manipulation very related to puppetry so hmm. how do you feel noel about the darkness of this movie compared to say snow white i love it it's just like Pleasure Island is one of the most terrifying scenes <laughs> when Lamprick like starts to turn and he's and he's he's really screaming for his mama. That just yeah. sends chills. <laughs> Still, it's like it's 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 so well done, and 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 then when Pinocchio starts to to change too, so there is like but see that's that's what was really good about traditional fairy tales is that they were trying to teach like a moral lesson. And so there would be these very dark parts. And it's actually surprised because Disney's always accused of, you know, sanitizing the fairy tales and taking out sure. the, the dark parts. No, he left that, that part in. It's like, I mean, even, you know, even Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, it's like, you know, like the girl's stepmother is trying to kill her. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like she wants her dead. It's like so quick out of jealousy. So, and so for this, you know, showing the moral that you know you're making an ass of yourself, like literally, <laughs> is like is like really, really like disturbing. But it it it, it worked. I, I do think that uh, that sequence really kind of confused me as a kid, just because it was all these characters in a Disney movie saying a word that I wasn't allowed to say. Oh, yes, ass. <laughs> that was weird, and it's and it's still kind of awkward. It's still odd in a G-rated movie to have that sequence in there. And part of what I've been trying to figure out is why are we struck by, or at least I'm struck by, and a lot of other people are, are struck by the darkness of this, when I think by now we should have all figured out that pretty much all kids' movies are dark. I really oh, yeah. can't think of any kids' movie any today. Good, any good or kids. Yeah, any, yeah, I can't think of any good children's film today, in the 30s, or anywhere in between that uh, doesn't in some way have a shocking amount of uh, a darkness or just something in it that's really, really heavy that you generally don't see in other films. Yeah. And so I think that from now on, on this podcast, it's still early on enough in the show that we can make some new rules. 
let's just try to never be surprised again that a kid's movie is dark. Let's go Agreed. in expecting yeah. them all to be really dark and then ask questions about the particular ways in which uh, these films are dark because they do it differently. Yeah. The way that this movie approaches its more uh, horrific elements is different from the more uh, existential questions asked in a Pixar movie. The, yeah. the stuff that's getting... Because now the way that movies... The way that kids' movies work is they don't emphasize the fright as much. They're not out to get you with horrific stuff, I don't think. They're just dealing with... Really, every kids' movie now is a therapy session. It's all trying to work through everybody's <laughs> deep psychological issues. <laughs> it's therapy. true! No, it, it is. is. It, it, is. Every, it is. I can't really watch a family film now, uh, certainly one by uh, Pixar or anyone that's trying to do something on the level of Pixar without thinking, I walked in here expecting a comedy, right. and again, I find myself on a couch with Freud talking yeah. about these really deep issues that I didn't know I had to deal with today. Oh, yeah. And there's a part of me that's like, if you want to do something heavy, just freaking scare me with kids turning into donkeys, please. <laughs> I don't have the energy for this anymore. I'm emotionally exhausted, Pixar. Well, Noel, uh, JD and I were talking about this last week, is what is it that makes Walt Disney Walt Disney? Especially with Pinocchio, like the top, the big five movies is... We can't quite figure out what's... I mean, he was a producer and all that, but he wasn't a story editor. He wasn't an yeah. animator per se. Yeah. Like, what do you think makes Walt Disney be able to make a movie like Pinocchio? He, uh, whereas others couldn't. He uh, the, Actually, one of the, the bonuses now is that uh, there's Disney Plus. And so, I actually, before coming on this podcast, I looked to see if they, of course, have Pinocchio, and they do, but they have all these amazing extras. And one of them was this uh, recording of interviews Walt did around 1956. And mm. he's talking about Pinocchio. And he's saying how um, he had this talent, giving himself credit, he had this talent for getting the right people together to do the right job, because he had all these animators. But some of them weren't really good at animating character, but they were really great at backgrounds so they did the backgrounds and some of them really weren't great at doing backgrounds but they were really good at figuring out special effects so he put them to to special effects and so he would and he said that on saturday and sundays when the studio was closed he would come in and kind of like walk around and just see what everybody was doing and people kind of caught on to this and so they would try to set things up to see had he been by my desk or been by this board but he always made a point of putting back everything exactly the way he found it. So, but I'm still, they probably figured out some way to, to like somehow figure out that he, he was there. So he was really good at sort of gathering the right people at the right time and knew what worked. There's these extras that they showed. There's a couple of sequences that got deleted. There's an alternate ending to Pinocchio that was found. Really? That it actually ends on the beach. So after Monstro like crashes and all that, like Geppetto's washed ashore, then you know Pinocchio is like wading through the water and Geppetto's laying on the beach. And Pinocchio's wading through the water and Figaro and Cleo are there and Jiminy Cricket's like, you know, shaking the water out. And Pinocchio sees his, his father on the beach and he starts to cry over him saying, this is all my fault. I, I did this to him, I don't deserve him. And that's when the blue light kind of starts glowing from behind him. And that's when Geppetto like, like sits up and sees Pinocchio saying, Pinocchio, it's like, it's like, you're a real boy. And that's when Pinocchio like 
jumps back wow. and he's a real boy. And they go all go like, you know, skipping, you know, Geppetto's got Cleo in her arm and Figaro's like skipping and they're all like skipping down the road, like back to the village. And like, that's, that was the alternate ending to it. Having wow. Pinocchio feeling bad that he thought he was responsible for his father's death. <laughs> what are your then, thoughts then on that? It was, it was very interesting. I, I kind of wonder like, would that, would that have worked as well as, as the other one where it was much more of, of a sacrifice. And I think the ending that we know actually is better because he actually, he actually sacrificed himself in order to uh, save himself. So instead of the ending where Pinocchio feels guilty about what happened, the fact that he sacrificed himself and also symbolically like that, that part of him is, is done. It's like, that's, almost like the naughty part of him mm-hmm. or being wood, the naughty part of him is over <laughs> and now he can start his life and now he's a real boy. So that actually, actually uh, worked. It was like two, there was like another sequence where um, after Pinocchio like plays with the fire and like mm-hmm. and Geppetto puts it out, he said, you can't play with fire because you're made of wood. And that's when Pinocchio, and there was like another storyboard of um, Pinocchio realizing like he's different from Geppetto, but why? And Geppetto explains like your wood, just like your grandfather, the mighty pine. And then Geppetto starts telling this story about Pinocchio's grandfather, the mighty pine <laughs> in the <Wow>. forest, <laughs> which was a really, which would have been like a really great short, but it totally yes. detracted from the movie, which is why yep. it never got <laughs> completed <laughs> as, a, as an animated sequence. And then one of the, then there was one more deleted scene with storyboards and it was, in it's called starving in the belly of the whale and it's with geppetto figaro and cleo and they're fishing and nothing is is, is biting and oh and, and but then figaro catches something and it's like wrapped up in a package and geppetto undoes it and it's a cookbook and hmm. and then geppetto starts hallucinating about uh length of rope is like sausages and like there's a fish frying in a pan is actually the bones. And then um, Figaro's like skims through the cookbook and sees this page <laughs> called How to Cook Fish. <laughs> and he's looking at the page and he looks at Cleo and just, <laughs> and then he starts to like, like kind of dangle the fishing hook from his tail into Cleo to try and catch her. And Geppetto oh, is just hell. apoplectic. Like what the, what are you doing? It's like, stop it. It's like, you can't do that until eventually it's like, Geppetto starts to get the idea too. And then there's like, and this is all storyboarded, but then there are these two like, like demonic images, like from Cleo's point of view of like Figaro's face and Geppetto's face, like leaning in, like leering at her. And then Geppetto's like, no, 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 we can't, we can't do this. It's like really disturbing. (laughs) And I'm so glad they didn't go there. And, and yet, well, Figaro I, and Cleo I, got their own spin-off shorts afterwards, so it's like it's fine. <laughs> Figaro got Figaro and Cleo got to live in Minnie Mouse's house, so they 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 turned they're out. They're living they, easy. They're living easy. They're one of the few like characters that got taken from a movie and then added to like yeah. the shorts. So 
I, I think that that's maybe part of how this movie was able to kind of have a rebound in that they would keep using stuff from the movie. Like, even though the movie bombed, they lost a million dollars on this thing, right. which I think I adjusted for inflation at some point and found it was like 18 million by today's Oof. standards. They lost a lot yeah. of money on Pinocchio, which yeah. you can... You can attribute that to many different things. It's the reasons that have been proposed for why it failed are totally different and often kind of contradict each other. And I, I think we might get into that later in the show. But then Walt kind of just kept using the bits and pieces that worked. He knew that the characters worked, so he would put Figaro in the cartoons with Minnie, and she'd be in... He, she, is Figaro he? I was F never F quite Figaro's sure about a he, that. and Cleo's yeah. a she. Cleo's a she. So they end up in these cartoons, and then Jiminy Cricket he uses for a bunch of other things later, right? I mean, Which Jiminy the, becomes like the, the consummate host for everything, yeah. from like the Disneyland specials to all his little shorts of like learning things. Like, I'm no fool, no sorry, I'm gonna let me out of And so he's just like the host and just goes out there and he's like the example of like, I'm gonna show you like what to do. And uh, yeah, so, and that's where, the, that's and then, where they came from. And When You Wish Upon a Star, of course, becomes the theme for the Disneyland yes. TV show. Right. Well, it becomes the theme think, for the studio itself. It's just I like, right. it's I think just, that's the thing. That's is that it. The, I think, right. I think the TV show actually started that being the Disney theme. Because, again, it was just a song that Walt was never particularly attached to from a movie that flopped. And then because it had the right lyrics and the right tone and was just right for the TV show, it ends up being the embodiment of all that Disney is yes, and it's... becomes the theme for the studio. And that, I think, eventually forces you to kind of pay attention to the movie and say, if all these good things that I like that are in everything Disney yeah. come from this one movie, I have to give it attention. And now it is one of the most acclaimed animated movies. And I think Gene Siskel considers it among his like top 10 or considered yeah and i think it's, i think it's, it's on like wild. afi's like 100 best movies of all time and... i think snow white's the only disney one that's on that list okay but pinocchio definitely gets around right. people well, it's it's so it's crazy the turnaround like critics liked it at the time right. they liked it fine but i don't think anyone was or, or most people were not particularly enamored with this right and there it's kind of started this discussion of is the animated movie was it a novelty? I mean, is, well, well, it, it, it was, was Snow White the one success, or was it more of like a little genre thing, like horror or the Western, where it has its own little following, and as long as you keep the budget low and just market it to the people who are into it, then it's fine? Well, that's what it was. I mean, that was what made Walt Disney like the pioneer, because he created the first full length animated movie, and that was Snow White was the gamble. Like, could you actually do this? And it worked, and that's when. He said, okay, we got to start doing features and just like figure out the next one. So like, you know, like Dumbo and Bambi and, um, and Pinocchio. And so, and then they, they would have done more, but then the war came and they had to like do uh, um, stuff for uh, the, the military services and pretty much like propaganda films. I mean, that's, and they're not, yeah. not full length films, they were just shorts, but he had to do that. And because of the war, they um, their European market was gone. Their the any kind of English pounds they had was like frozen because what he said in these interviews, and so they struggled. So then, after the war was done, they had to um, play catch up. And he said, like you know, they uh, they um, 
remortgaged their homes, they sold their cars, they went without to try and get things back. And then that's when they started feeling like their their new renaissance with like, you know, Cinderella and Peter Pan and and, and, and which is amazing and with Cinderella is Walt didn't like that movie. Like he he felt like he was never going to be better than than what had come before, which is stunning. Yeah, exactly. And it, in a way it's like it's like I know we're talking we're talking about Pinocchio, but in a way Cinderella is really like two movies cuz there's Cinderella but then there's this other movie with the mice. Yes. Yeah. And they're doing everything. <laughs> they do everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, do not get me started on Princess Aurora, because my son, since the age of five, has never liked Sleeping Beauty because he said really? she's not, she's like, she doesn't do anything. <laughs> Everybody else does everything. All she does is just walk through the forest, falls in love with the first guy she sees, and then falls asleep. <laughs> well, you should use that as an example of welcome to the conversation about Disney and complicated issues. Yeah, it's like, well, at least, at least again, with like, with like, they caught up with themselves. That's why in Frozen, that's why, yeah. you know, Kristoff says to Anna, it's like, wait a minute. It's like, you're getting married to the first guy you've met? And he said, <laughs> it's like, so that was great. It finally addressed that whole Disney problem. It was like, oh, love yeah. at first sight. So he's like, no. <laughs> so you deserve more. Yeah. So so with Pinocchio, it's like this really this movie is about Pinocchio. It's like you're on his journey to try and be good and try and and, and try to like takes what it takes to you know become a real boy. Which is the other thing that even as a kid kind of weirded me out. It was like, okay, you've got Figaro. <laughs> Figaro is this adorable kid. I wanted Figaro when I was a kid. Yes. I wanted Figaro. It's sure. like, it like, but then you've got Gideon with Dishonest John, yep. who's like this four foot tall cat and next to this six mm-hmm. foot tall fox. And it's like, mm-hmm. to me, Pinocchio never wondered like, how come you're so much bigger <laughs> than my cat <laughs> at home? <laughs> how come you could talk? How come you're wearing clothes? <laughs> Well, here's yeah, and one of the things that I wondered about with this is what context did people at the time have for it? Because this movie seems pretty confident in the fact that it can start with a world that seems relatively realistic, apart from the blue fairy coming in and bringing a puppet to life, right? right? Like, we understand the fish is a fish, the cat is a cat, the man is a man. All of this dynamic makes sense. And then they open up and show us the whole town, the village, and we see all the children. And it's all people. There is no indication that this is one of those hybrid worlds in which there are also, you know, walking, talking animals. Until Honest John and Giddy just arrive. Right, it's just like, they just what is stroll this? in. <laughs> and apparently the world operates on completely different terms than we'd realized. Right. And yet the movie doesn't see an issue here. And as a kid, I don't think I did, but I haven't been able to figure out why did this seem normal? Why does animation have a way of kind of normalizing that? And it Because I think that you would see it in shorts too, because at a certain point they could do shorts yeah. in which Mickey Mouse would be you know, playing polo or something with Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, it was just, and yeah, it's, just, it's like, just a given you that just, just like, you know, because I think one of their because sort of like, you know, outs was like, well, you know, it's a cartoon. So it's like, we can do it. It's a fairy tale. So sure. in a fairy tale, you know, you can have a six foot fox and a four foot cat trying to entice the puppet that's come to life <laughs> to, you know, join up with, you know, the evil puppet master, uh, 
stromboli so it's just like yeah so yeah pretty i mean it's all about it's all about function you know there's actually there is that one mickey mouse cartoon in which pete is talking about he, he talks about when he had a little pet cat which is weird because i'm fairly certain pete is a cat <laughs> i yeah. don't understand like, um... the rules at all but it's 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 about function we understand that some of these animals someone like mickey mouse is a mouse only in the most abstract way possible right. and by and large is just a person right. and you can have other mice then in these cartoons or these movies or in this world that are supposed to function more like actual literal mice and however they need to function depending on design we just kind of accept it and it works yeah and i don't think i would want to hear any complicated backstory about when evolution went awry yeah, and created like, like, no, no, i don't want no i don't want it normalized i don't want it right. uh, no no logical right. explanation and the fact necessary that, you know jimmy cricket like that's his name it's like he doesn't look like a cricket it's like no it's just like it's like i guess walt looked at a cricket it's like oh no we can't do that and so just nope. like we'll just call him jimmy cricket and that's it so it's just like this little guy and you know that's it you know, he has the top hat, the umbrella, the tailcoat. It's like, that's it. That's all you need. <laughs> they were specifically going for a little old man who looked as cute as possible. Right. And it, that was the goal. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. And even the actual story of Pinocchio, you know, Walt, like, definitely, like, toned down some of the aspects. For instance, like, in the story, like, Pinocchio actually squashes Jiminy Cricket because right. he, he's you annoyed know, by that's, that's... This, this constant little bug telling him what to do. And he just, like, squashes him. It's just like... Okay, <laughs> we can't have actual killing <laughs> unless unless well, it's, wanted, unless it's his mother. Then we can't. Other than that, we can't have that. We can't have death. On the subject of real trauma, I wanted to open up the conversation and find out everyone's thought on the coachman for Pleasure Island. That to me is the only character in the movie that has real is almost like a real villain. Like yes. the the Stromboli is like he's a bad guy, right? You know, Gideon and, and th those two are fun bad guys. But, like, the coachman, to me, is a really bad individual in the movie. Yeah. that That's one of the, the things that Walt Disney was, well, and his company, because it wasn't just him, but he gets course, credited. Right. But that's what's really the good thing about Disney is, like, sometimes they'll have, like, a real person <clears throat> as a villain. Like, one of the villains I, as a child, hated with such a fiber was Cinderella's stepmother, Lady Tremaine, because sure. she was a human and everything she did was actually capable of a human being, which actually made her so much more evil. She didn't have magic like Maleficent and all that because she was a human. Everything she did was in the possibility of a human being. And so that's why I think with the coachman too, it's like, this is a human being who is deliberately kidnapping and selling these boys into slavery, <laughs> which is something a human could actually do and do. And so that's what makes him actually even more um, frightening. Well, the question I always had is who were the people closing the door to Pleasure Thank Island? You. <laughs> you never, Thank you. Like you, you, only, you only saw Stromboli. He was the one who was with Gideon and them in the pub. You saw him driving the coach. No, and that's Coachman. The co sorry, the Coachman. Coachman. We're talking and about then, Coachman. Okay. And then when you think about it, the the donkeys are they donkeys pulling the coach? Yeah, yeah. Think, that's like, yeah. yeah. So so these are previous. Those are boys, boys pulling the coach, <laughs> enslaved and, boys <laughs> to their doom. But the ones 
ones that are closing the door, they're humanoid of some kind. So, like, what are they and where do they come from? <laughs> exactly. It's like, there's like, he's like, okay, boys, shut him up. So like, you see these shrouded people just like closing the doors, like, who are these guys? It's like, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, that's the thing is, it doesn't even look like they're people wearing black. It looks like they are blobs of ink. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't understand. It just weirds me out. It right. makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, now as you say that, maybe they were. Maybe it were these blobs of ink. Because this island is sort of, uh, you know, the rules on it. It's like at a certain point, you get so bad, you start to turn into, you know, a donkey. Or you make an ass of yourself. So, Which is yeah. why I never understood why Walt Disney World named that portion of I downtown know. Disney Pleasure Island. Because I thought... <laughs> I am never staying past midnight. <laughs> I have got to get out of here. <laughs> well, the other part of me, the the business side is going, okay, so you have a batch of kids. They come in. They turn to donkeys. Now you have, like, all this place destroyed. So right. the return on investment, you got to be making a lot of money off of these donkeys to be able to just rebuild these areas. You probably think it's kind of like, it must be a nightly thing too. So it's like yeah. you're just constantly That's rebuilding it, the place to so, have it destroyed. So is, that what, is that what the ink blobs do? Maybe, the ink blobs maybe, are construction maybe that's workers. What the ink blobs. They're just constantly cleaning and fixing right. this place. And maybe that was like a seed in the back of Walt Disney's mind for Disneyland. Just like we just got to keep this place up every day. <laughs> we just got to <laughs> clean the park at night so it's brand new in the morning before it gets trashed again. <laughs> <laughs> just to it, just to give this show some structure, um, too late to start now. <laughs> we've been, I know I know it is a little late to start, but I just thought since we're bouncing around, hey no, I've got a lot no. of notes that are kind of in J order. JD tries so, so hard each episode to have so much information. I don't mean that in a bad way. To be so structured that I just have to do everything in my power to mess him up. So feel free to take part in that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what I were you going to say, JD? Go ahead. It, it just say? makes it a little bit easier for what me as a host and for listeners, what were you as, as listeners, Diddy? to follow along if they know. Okay, fine. So, <laughs> taking the notes in in order to briefly go through what happens in the movie in some order, so I can keep track of where we are and what we have and have not covered. I really dig the opening for this one because it's got that spotlight that is pure theater. There is no attempt to explain yeah. this this spotlight naturally. It's just. This is just theater now. And what's nice about the opening is it gives them the chance to do two different openings at once because we're so used to having the book opening that you see at the beginning of Snow White and all these other movies, but they want to be able to open with Jiminy Cricket and his song and his narration here. And this just has him on top of the book so they can do both at the same time, yeah. which is really economical um, and, and kind of uh, lovely. And uh, I love the way that Jimmy's dialogue is written with a lot of character. Yeah. Like, it's all very, like, Jimmy's, uh, Jiminy's dialogue is very specific to Jiminy and has a particular cadence. You know, it's going to have all of these pauses in the right places. And then you've got Geppetto, whose dialogue just has him uh, perpetually confused. And he's just always a few steps behind everything that's going on around him. Um, but when you think about it, at any time. When, I feel when like you I've think about that with... Yes. That's an interesting position Disney took, and I mean the organization, to make the caretaker of Pinocchio the one who's one step behind. So, like, Pinocchio knows nothing. And so they gave him to someone who is, like, one step behind what's going to happen. So, like, Pinocchio really is, he's got a, got an absentee father to some degree. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I would actually say that a big part of the problem with this movie, uh, for me anyway, because I think I, I have come around to like the movie, but I don't love it. I, I, I did. I grew up with it, but it was not my go to. My go to is going to be something more like Mary Poppins, uh, yeah. Cinderella and a lot of the Disney Renaissance stuff. But this this I'd watch occasionally, but be weirded out by it. I think part of my problem with it does stem from the fact that Pinocchio was just born. He has no history. And that kind of presents a little bit of a problem that I think is why this has been like the only successful adaptation of this story. There have been so many different adaptations of Pinocchio. This is the one that's worked, but most struggle because he has no past. He has no backstory. There's no normal life for the stuff that happens later to to contrast with. And so what's his motivation? What does he want from any of this? What is he was he trying to get out of it? He doesn't know anything. He doesn't have any particular wills, any particular passions. He's just kind of thrust into someone else's wish and then is led into temptation by these other people. He's just constantly being told what he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do and goes along with it. And it's only at the very end when he starts to get kind of active as a character. And I kind of need him to want something or care about something or have some original thought a little earlier in the movie if I'm going to stay invested. Well, what you've kind of described sounds like a bit of the Jesus story. Go on. This is taking an interesting (laughs) turn, but go on. But he's born, he's just born, he just, like, there's no real definition of where he came from, he's just born, he doesn't get active into things until later in life, he's taken into temptation, there's a theory out there that this is an allegory loosely for the Jesus story. Now, it's a theory. Pinocchio? The really? Pinocchio movie. It's not my theory, it's just doing research, there's a bit of a, 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 people are saying that this is a bit of a push for the Jesus allegory. I never would have seen it that way. Wow. And I still have a hard time seeing it that way. Okay. Um, yeah, still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I will say, for, for me, what Pinocchio makes me think of, the way that I think about this story, is it's a story about proving oneself. And that's really perfect for the Disney studio in this particular moment. With Snow White, we talked a little bit about in another episode, we talked about uh, how you can kind of read Snow White's story as Walt Disney's story to some extent. But here, there's some similar thing where it's about someone just trying to prove their own legitimacy. It's about someone who wants to be seen as real. Because the Disney studio had been making all of these great short films for such a long time, putting all this work into doing this beautiful art, this beautiful cinema that was never taken seriously. It was never considered real film, real movies. And eventually, finally, with Snow White, they actually get to be a real film studio. And... I think that this theme of seeking legitimacy, seeking to be, you know, taken seriously as, as somebody who's who's contributing something, uh, kind of gets picked up later by Pixar, in a way, which is very focused on... I think in there, and we'll talk about this as when we talk about Pixar films, you'll see a similar theme about people just wanting to be taken seriously as somebody, people who have something to offer. You know, the superheroes just want to be allowed to do superhero stuff. The toys just want to be allowed to do toy stuff. They just want to be allowed to contribute to society in the way that they're good at. With Pinocchio, though, it's not clear, again, it's not clear to me what his goal is other than to make Geppetto happy by becoming real, whatever that means here. Right. Um, Well, that's why I say, well, it's it's, kind of like the Frosty the Snowman complex, too. It's just like, it's like, it just came to life. It's like, sure. And? (laughs) Yeah. And... 
like what does that mean so with pinocchio i mean that's why the 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 blue fairy kind of just like tells them like you know right now, it's like you're alive but you're not real and so you need to it's like it's a weird distinction kind of, that i don't understand it's like you're alive but you're not real it's like what and yeah well, what i think real this boy. hits yeah yeah what I think this hits for a lot of people is you have to explain so much in life. There has to be reason in life. I think some of the reason why this movie hits, and a lot of the Disney, Walt Disney movies hit, are beca- is because you don't have to necessarily explain everything. You know, you can, as long as you have a basic story, I think people are open to having weird things come in. Yeah. I think to some extent you're right on. I think to some extent, definitely now it seems like family films or perhaps Hollywood movies at large are very interested in kind of over-explaining stuff and trying to make everything seem as realistic and logical as possible. There's definitely a lot of room for just fantasy stuff to just happen because it's fun and it's cool and we like it. And I, I, I'm with you there. I think today, if if you were to do this movie now, and of course somebody is doing this movie now, they're always doing this movie. Of course, <laughs> I, I, I uh, uh, yeah. Who is it? I think is is this the one that Guillermo del Toro is working on now? I think he's working I think on so, it. Yes. Yes. I, I swear they will do a remake of Titanic soon. I'm sure somebody out there is probably playing the next Harry Potter reboot. So it's, yep, yeah. So sure, and and you know, as long as you've got something to actually meaningfully contribute, fine. But here, I think if you were to approach this this story now, the, the modern approach would have to add all this stuff about Geppetto longing for a son because he lost his son and his wife and his mother and his pet dog. And he's trying to deal with this loss. He's trying to fill a void with a new son, trying to replace the people in his life with Pinocchio. Right. And it's really psychological and heavy. And Jiminy Cricket would have lost his family too. And he's just trying to keep Pinocchio from making the same mistakes he once made. And Pinocchio's <laughs> asking all these existential forky questions about what it means to be a living puppet. And in the end, Pinocchio moves away and everybody's in tears. You know, it's like it's a German expressionism film. That's what you're saying. (laughs) No, what I'm what I'm saying is now, if you were to do it with the Pixar with more of a Pixar approach, it would all be about the psychology of the characters and working through this stuff in a very heavy way. And I think that somewhere in between the movie that's trying to psychologicalize things and the movie that has no psychology, characters just kind of do stuff seemingly at random. Somewhere in between there's a really, really strong Pinocchio movie that I have yet to see. I hope that's the one that's being made, but who knows? Well, with Pinocchio, I mean, he keeps getting told, like, you know, you have to be good. You know, go to school. You go to school. You have to be good. You have to go to school. It's not until, like, in in The Whale, when he finally gets the idea, like, and how to get out and be proactive. It's like, yeah, that's when he's he's doing good and not realizing it he it's just coming naturally to him and i think that's the 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 lesson of it he's he's just doing it naturally and then he's helping his dad escape and pretty much like sacrificing himself in order to save his father so it's like good was in him it just had to take time to to get out and to figure it out and he just does it out of instinct it's not out of like you know, you should like, like, it's not being pointed out to him. So I think that's kind of like somewhat of the takeaway that there is good in you. You just, 
sometimes it just takes time for you to figure it out, but it's there. Well, and also if I can add on to that, it, what what I think there's a difference between what you're saying, doing good, and what's, I think, trying to be instilled in him earlier, which is do what everyone else does, which is you go to school, you do this, you do this, whereas what, later on in the movie he discovers that is important, but it doesn't mean that that's the right way for everyone. Right. You know? he, even when he just, just realizes that he has to go find his... his uh his father and his, and again, like the note from the fairy comes down. He's been swallowed by a whale. So it's like, it's it's true. like, like you know, this text message from the blue fairy, like what? It's like, and that's when Pinocchio like ties the rock around his tail and says, Jimmy, Jimmy, goodbye. And it's like, I get, and it's like, and that's his decision. Like, I gotta go do this. It's like, I gotta find my father. And so and Jiminy, Jiminy has a great moment there, too, when he says, I'm with you all the way, buddy. Like, yeah, that's like, finally Jimmy's mo- uh, Jiminy's moment to make up for all the times throughout the movie when he saw Pinocchio going astray and was like, well, I guess he doesn't need me anymore. What can you do? And it's like his father's waiting at home for Pinocchio to come back from school. What are you doing? What kind of a conscience are you? Right. So it's like, that, that was a good friendship moment for them. Like, he's like, yes, okay, you're going. I'm going with you. And they. They go about um, doing it. And again, like that whole underwater sequence is still oh. amazing to yeah, look at, yeah. even by today's standards, because that's still hand-drawn animation. And he still did this rippling and lighting effect with water back in like 1939. This is still an achievement. It's, yeah, it's such a, a remarkable work of animation. Like as for as many gripes as I have about the story of this movie, the animation is just so friggin' beautiful. It is. I it's, love it. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Like Pinocchio is adorable. So it's true. He's yeah. great. not as good looking when he becomes a real boy. I don't think. At the, no. once, once he it's makes a transformation, yeah. But that's what weird. happened with the beast too. It's just like he turns around. It's like seriously. It's like. It's like, it's like <laughs> I love like Robbie this? Benson, but and I was like, really? It's <laughs> like this. This is him. Um, I think what really remains, at least in my notes, to talk about is just Stromboli because he is such a weird, weird character. Oh, oh yeah. He's I mean, a drunk. What's, what's... it's just like he's just like he's just like <laughs> he's just this drunk. <laughs> I mean, for some reason, it's implied that he has to be really tricky and dishonest in order to succeed as a puppeteer, and I don't know how you cheat as a puppeteer like what's his game how <laughs> well, are you a con man when you're we a puppeteer tell you how you can cheat as a puppeteer yeah uh, no <laughs> but truly i don't know how he can function as a con artist when i feel like his job is pretty straightforward like he, he presumably is hiring these other puppeteers well, right because they don't it's thing. not just his voice i think you're like, overthinking think, it a bit here it's just like it's like i just figure it's like he's doing all this right just like yeah. he's up he's there standing he's in front like, of the stage and just like trying to i mean that could be i mean again if this were by today's standards we would have some sort of inkling that he's struggling now and he has to do it all himself and he's bitter <laughs> that this is it's down to him sure. and he's taking on this tradition that he never wanted blah 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 so so no it's just like no he's this He's this puppet guy. It's like he's got this little rinky-dink, which, I mean, he got this little wagon, but then, you know, it's showtime. It's, he's got pretty high production standards. I mean, with the yeah, lighting no and the music. Where's the music coming from? <laughs> That's like, the odd thing. It's like he puts on a heck of a show without Pinocchio. Exactly. How is he struggling? Why exactly. does he need to cheat people? I don't get it. Exactly. It's in fact, yeah, it's I like, think Stromboli uh, is supposed to in some way be an insult because his name is Stromboli, so I'm assuming Italian. 
This was like right at the war. So I think because so, okay. of Mussolini. Go ahead. What, what, what? He's the only character here who's actually coded as Italian, yes, but yes. he's referred to by Honest John as a gypsy, meaning he's Italian Roma, and it's odd that at a time when they could have just made him Italian, and that would be enough to make him villainous in 1940 during the war, they decided to play into anti-gypsy sentiments. Yeah. And it's particularly noteworthy, since this is still a problem right now, a, a 2015 poll by Pew Research Center uh, actually found that 86% of Italians had an unfavorable view of Romani people. So he's actually playing into something that's catering more to Italian sentiment. And then you're wondering, so why why is he the only character who's Italian when Geppetto's German? But this all takes place in Italy, but the other characters, <laughs> a lot of the other characters are British. Like, I think Honest John is kind of a little British. Certainly, um, Coachman is definitely British. And Coachman is actually voiced by the same guy who's playing Stromboli. It's oh. just different accents. Okay. It's really weird. I think, but the most... That saved the production value. All right, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was going to say that uh, I have one last uh, fun fact about the Stromboli sequence. It turns out that two of the puppeteers in the marionette sequence were actually Francis and Isidore Osnowicz. Frank Oz's parents did the actual puppetry you see in that very real scene. Wow. Uh, which is why if you listen closely, you can hear one of the puppets yell, Pass the butter! <laughs> uh, now, I was That's so worried that that joke wouldn't land because it is such a deep cut. <laughs> no, the world of Jim Henson. The world of Jim Henson, I love wow, it. Wow, I had no idea. So they, I think, so they filmed them puppeteering and then no just no no scope. that's no that no it turns out that frank oz's parents were cartoon characters oh which is why he sounds the way he sounds oh okay wow oh my God. now you understand what? so <laughs> uh i was always weirded out by the physics of pinocchio's dance in that scene because we I know his joints allow his leg to spin around all the way yeah. even though it should yeah. just be crashing well, his into whole, itself. Well, his whole body and just then like he, spins around as he's, his head his head stays still, but his whole body just like goes around in a circle and comes back <laughs> again. So. Like, I, well, the thing that really I, bothered me is when he fell down the stairs, his nose got in the hole and then pulled up, and like it was that hunk of wood is just hanging on his nose. Right. I was like, how much force do you have to have? It's either he has a strong neck. Or that wood is not very strong on the stage. It's probably pretty cheap wood that he built out of previous puppets that got <laughs> worn out. I mean, he's a pretty cheap guy. In this sequence, you see um, a, a lot of the butt jokes in the movie. A lot of the gags that are centered around, look, it's a character's butt. Uh, in total, throughout the whole movie, I counted at least nine butt-related gags. Which is interesting, really? because so, in this uh, little behind-the-scenes sequence that got deleted about about the grandfather pine uh the yeah. pine tree is this majestic tree and he protects like the animals that live in him and then he you know when the storm comes he throws out his his chest and says you know strike me lightning if you dare and then the lightning actually strikes him from behind and causes his roots to like sp split as if like you know legs were splitting apart he looks wow. at, looks behind and he looks around and he sees that part of his bark is gone and the way they drew it it looks like he has like you know a butt <laughs> and so he has yeah. to pull up he has to pull up like the bark that's fallen around his legs and ties it around like an apron <laughs> to cover his bare bark buck <laughs> so there's that's awesome. so yeah so they, there's totally butts that and this was one that actually somehow got deleted <laughs> wow yeah 
I, I think that that's very telling of the way that they approached storytelling at this time, because the animators really thought about things in terms of what are the interesting sequences we can do here? What would be the interesting uh, scenes to animate? What can we bring a lot of gags to? What are some cool things to bring life to? We can bring life to a tree. That's a cool thing that you can't see in anything other than an animated movie, yeah. right? We can have the fox and the cat walking around in people clothes. That's something you can't see outside of an animated movie. And it, it sort of became a problem in a way by the time you get to the Dark Ages when they had lost all sense of how to do, you know, plot, structure, yeah. three acts, uh, sequences that build on one another with some point to it to, uh, until finally Eisner and Katzenberg come into the studio and go, what is this? What are you doing? Somebody show me a script. And they're like, we never wrote a script. We just came up with interesting sequences to animate and put them together, which kind of created chaos. And it, it took some rethinking about story that nobody had really tried to do since Walt. Because for this one, even like this is coming at a time when Walt was really stepping back because he wanted to get to the point that they were producing two to four movies a year at the studio. Right. Little did he know about what was about to happen between the war, the strikes, all of it. Um, but he's, he, you know, he puts this in production at the same time as like Fantasia, Bambi, Dumbo and Peter Pan. And That's insane. <laughs> yeah, it is insane that he's trying to juggle all of these. So he knows that he's not going to be as hands on as he was with Snow White. But they had a story meeting really early on in which all the animators who had gone through the book and just found all these great scenes that they were so excited to do because they thought of all these fun ways to animate them, just like that scene that you talked about. They got them all up on these boards all over the room and Walt came in and they spent all day there and he was just ripping all the drawings off the board, tearing things apart, throwing out half their work. And once they were left with just a little bit of the story, only the parts that Walt thought were essential, he left saying, well, I think that was a pretty good story meeting. <laughs> and everyone was like, well, then what does the bad one look like? That was everything. That's most of the movie. But then what we end up with is a story that really revolves around just kind of these four moments characters. in a way it's like it's it's yeah. four, it's but it's four acts i think right there's just a sequence focused on pinocchio in geppetto's house or all the really all the geppetto business everything leading up to pinocchio leaving then he leaves and he's supposed to go to school but he ends up with stromboli and then the next section actually starts with uh jiminy saying on the way to pleasure island well here we go again yeah because pinocchio just kind of does the same thing again falls for another one of Honest John's tricks and then does the whole Pleasure Island thing. And then, as you said, a bird arrives with instructions for how to do a final yeah. act and they go up underwater and do the Stromboli sequence. I think for me, I know you've talked about how you really love the, the horrific elements of Pleasure Island here. That was always the part that I think made me not really want to watch this movie too often because that I've found is the number one thing that bothered me as a kid. Yeah, the number one thing from any movie was unwilling transformations. If you got turned into something else, your body changed yeah. and you didn't want it. I'm like, nope, that's the yeah. scariest thing in the world. Probably for very Freudian reasons, fears of puberty or whatever. I don't know, but I don't want to oh, deal yeah. with it. And it would actually be extended to other things beyond the obvious, right? Because the obvious cases are going to be like, you know, in Willy Wonka turning into a blueberry. That stuff's unsettling. To me, anyway, yeah. that was you know, you know, that was a lot. How um, do you feel and, about and the anything... changes aspect in this Noel, where you you they're they're physically transforming? Well, yeah. it's like up until that point, this was like you know it's kind of like you know a fairy tale, and you know the most harm that happens is like you know Pinocchio gets like put in a little cage, 
and is separated yeah. from his dad. And again, when you talk about the sequences, it's like, okay, um, everybody knows that Pinocchio, when he lies, his nose grows. We got to put that in here somewhere. Oh, now we can do it. Because right. <laughs> the blue fairy shows up yeah. and she's like, oh my, what's happened? And he's like, oh, <laughs> and that's when his nose grows. And like, that's, and then, then that's it. That's the only time he ever lies. And that little pretty much known fact about Pinocchio is used and done. And so it's kind of like, comical yeah i think the movie's kind of benefited from the fact that since we all kind of know in some way what pinocchio is when you approach the movie you are ready for his nose to grow you are ready for the whole sequence built around how his nose grows whenever he lies but if you had never heard of pinocchio before and this scene just kind of happened right it wouldn't just terrify me i would just get up and walk out that's insane you can't just do that yeah. Without any setup. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, but, it's, 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 but, yeah, think, but it's still kind of, but it, they still play it kind of funny because as his nose grows, because yeah. he's wood, then, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, leaves appear and then a nest of birds <laughs> appear yeah. too. Yep. <laughs> and so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of funny. She's like, I can you know, this like, I'm going to help you just the last time I can help you, which is kind of a lie because then she just send the note. <laughs> Presumably, yeah, presumably her, right? Like it's yeah. not explicitly her. Like it could just be her bird friend. Right, just like, you know, you don't know that she's the bird yeah. or that you don't so, know the deal so there. It's fine. And then, you Trump, and then going to Pleasure Island, but then, and then he's on the coach and all that. And then uh, um, even, even when um, with Stromboli, he's kind of evil and all that. But so it's like, okay, it's kind of like, you know, the way the, you know, the the queen turned into the witch. I was like, okay. But then once you're, once you realize what's, what's going to happen, that's when it's like, it takes this turn and you, and it becomes dark and Jiminy has to like run back and warn Pinocchio <laughs> about what's about to happen. And then that's when they just up the ante. And that's when you see Lampwick start to change. And then when he's, like screaming for his mother and it turns into that brain and you just see oh, the, yeah. the shadow of him like kicking and just like panicking. That is just, that just is over the, that's just over the top. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's like, not just Pinocchio, so we all have got to get out of here <laughs> because yeah. this is a totally different movie now. <laughs> I did not sign up oh, for yeah. this. It's, <laughs> it's true. Even as a kid watching it, you're like, just my being in the room, I feel, puts me at risk of turning into a donkey. I yeah. don't want to be yeah, here. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we showed it to my son. And he was, I guess we was like, maybe like 13 or so. And we just like watched it again. And he probably really didn't remember as much as he did as a kid. But he was just like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> yeah. And again, it's this tradition of in these old tales, some of which were written for children, some of which yeah. were not. This one definitely was, though. It's in this tradition of didactic tales, right? These educational tales for kids that are like, you're either going to follow the norms of our culture and do everything the proper way, or else we will terrify you yeah. with the most gruesome, disgusting threats imaginable. Yeah. And... It, it kind of raises the question, to what extent has it ever worked? Has anyone ever become a better person because they were scare, scared by these tales? Or did, were people just mad at kids and were like, here, read this. <laughs> read this. Like, were, this was, were, a, movie, we just this was a movie that... This this was a movie that made me that made sure I never wanted to smoke. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It definitely has... You don't want to smoke. Sure. You don't want to drink. Yeah. And weirdly, For you kind of sure. don't want to go to a theme park. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, no. I think I think which when is I was weird young, for I was... the Disney company. Yes. I know. <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know yet. It was 1940. Yeah. He didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so. yeah, I, I think even when I, he, just going to an amusement park as a kid felt weird to me because I never trusted it. I never knew were they up to something. Were you know was were we all walking into a trap and we were all going to leave as donkeys? I didn't know. <laughs> And, and yet, I think that there's, again, there's something about transformations where even when it isn't supposed to be scary, for me, it weirded me out. Even like like Sesame Street stuff, when it, like when Ernie removed careful. Bert's nose, careful. that weirded me out. Careful. I'm being careful. <laughs> careful. I'm just saying. I'm being careful. I'm just saying, like, you know, simple things like in, in Follow That Bird, seeing Big Bird as blue. Yeah. You see the paint, first you see the paint and cans, and then you see, like, yeah. they painted in blue. It's just like... Whoa. <laughs> and it's like any time that you do a kind of transformation like that, I think for a kid, it's hard for a child to understand that there is a difference between a character going through a physical transformation and just becoming a different person. They actually tried to do an episode of Sesame Street once in which Big Bird wanted to change his name because he thought it was weird having just the name Big Bird. That's just a description yeah. of what he is. It would kind of be like having the name human. And so he he kind of wanted more of a real name, I guess, like Bob or Steven or something. I don't know what else you would call Big Bird, but <laughs> they tested canary. it. Yeah, but, sure. Yes. But then they got the transformation. They tested it with kids. Yeah. They they tested they tested that story with kids and found that kids didn't understand that Big Bird was not. They thought he was trying to become something other than a large bird. They couldn't understand the difference between changing one's name and changing one's identity. And so I wonder if maybe it's the same thing where the reason why that kind of horror particularly sticks with you and is particularly scary is that, you know, when you see them transforming into donkeys, it's like they're gone. Yeah. Something is, some damage is done. It's irreversible. Like transformations seem like the scariest things because it seems like the old you is dead and now there's this new right. you or this new person and it's the most unsettling thing one can imagine. Yeah, like Stromboli. Well, yeah, before that, just Stromboli, like when Jiminy sees like the other donkeys and then there's that one donkey who still can talk and Stromboli is like, yeah. send him back. He's not done yet or something. And that's when Jiminy realizes like, oh my God. <laughs> and so, yeah, so then that kind of starts it for you, this sort of disturbance and then just goes right into Lamb. Wick's transformation. I don't think they got transformations right until Beauty and the Beast. Then you were okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was fine. I I think it is is interesting that then a lot of people, from what I've found from from looking up different people's reactions to this movie, a lot of people were really bothered by Monstro, which is the part of the movie that I hardly remembered. Like, I don't know if I just didn't make it to that scene, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I, I... found that I remembered the part when Pinocchio came back at the end. I remember the happy ending. Right. But the Monstro stuff was always kind of just something else that happens in the story that happens to bring about Pinocchio's redemption. Right. Even though Pinocchio, he never really redeems himself for lying. He never proves that he's honest, which is an odd narrative thread that's just missing. He does apologize for lying. That's the one thing. He's like, please forgive me. And then Jiminy also like, you know, does it too. Because Jimmy yeah. has a huge crush on the Blue Fairy. Let's just, let's just oh, yeah. see that. This oh, yeah. is a horny he movie. He loves the it's Blue Fairy. It's a very horny yeah. movie. He, I mean, he's got, Jiminy's got the hots for like the clocks, the puppets. <laughs> like he's just so horny in this. Who let him right. be a conscious? Because, he's a because you're like, you know, there's only two female characters. There's the Blue Fairy and the Cleo. That's it. Yep. It's all guys through this whole movie. 
So Jiminy is like, I think even when, even when you see, <laughs> even when you see the village, it's like it's just Most a village filled yes. with boys. All yeah. the kids going to school just, are boys. <laughs> Ever like something happened in this town that I get. I guess Je- the reason why Geppetto wants to have a boy is seemingly everyone else in the village yes, has exactly. one and well, has nothing you know, but boys. You know what they say: life finds a way. <laughs> okay. Good. Call. And on that Good note, call. unfortunately, wow. our dear friend Noel has to <laughs> toddle off. I think. Yeah, I think we are out of time. <laughs> But before you go, we have an unofficial, or let's put it this way, I have an unofficial way that I like to rank these movies. First way is during Walt's life and then throughout post-Walt's life in the company. So on a scale of 1 to 10, for Walt's life when he was alive, how would you rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the absolute best? Personal opinion. Um, I would say... This one is personal opinion. I would say this is probably a 10 because it did, I think story-wise, it did better than Snow White. Um, and uh, yeah, but I would also, yeah. So I would say it's, cause I would rank Snow White as, as maybe uh, an eight, just personally. Why um, an eight? Um, it's just like, it just didn't, it's just, it was that kind of story that just, I mean, in terms of achievement, it's, it's remarkable, but it's like, in terms of the story, I just, it just didn't um, work for me as well as something like Pinocchio or Bambi or, or even, uh, or even Dumbo, which is still one of the like saddest movies ever oh my made. Gosh. It's just like, dear God. And like the whole sequence with baby mine, it's like, it's like you, you can't watch it without if you if you're not crying then then you're dead because it's just <laughs> one of the saddest things ever of this poor little elephant who's just abused <laughs> it's awful but that's why steven spielberg said that you know Lo- uh, warner brothers uh, looney tunes always made me laugh and never made me cry and walt disney always made me cry but never made me laugh interesting yeah so I it's think like that's because yeah, he just went for, yeah, he just went for the heart of it. That's it. Yeah, I think I would actually have a similar take. Yeah. Uh, at least on that particular remark, I mean, yeah. I would also say, yeah, for laughs, Looney Tunes absolutely or or even, you know, MGM too, all that stuff. That for whatever reason a lot of the humor in both this and Snow White is just kind of it's nice, it's cute, it's charming. It's not going to give me the big belly laughs for the most part. No. My ranking, I would put this at a 10. I mean, I can't really yeah. find a fault with Pinocchio. There, it's like technically amazing. The characters, uh, you know, they're they're, yeah. It's a ten. It's a personal ten for me. Yeah, I, I can't find any fault with this. Right. During Walt's life, this is during Walt's life. Now, no, during post Walt's existence with the company, where would you rank this? So this includes Pixar, the Dark Ages, the Renaissance. Oh, you know, Mo- Moana, anything now. Where would you place Pinocchio? Um, I would say, um, probably like a nine because I feel they've gotten better with the storytelling in terms of the characters. My, like, like during Walt's life, my favorite animated movie is Pinocchio. Post Walt's life, my favorite animated movie is Beauty and the Beast because that 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 story just works on 
every level. It's just perfect. I was actually got to go to this to that special screening they had at Lincoln Center when it was like wasn't even finished yet, and they wow. just, they, they just did, and I went with um, fellow puppeteer Jim Martin, and we were in the audience, and we were watching this like it wasn't even finished yet, and then they did they did be our guest, and once it was done, it's like me Jim everybody on it just erupted with applause. It was because it, it was like watching a Broadway show. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so wow. good. And wait for to, you know to finish it. Um, so I would think post Walt of the animated movies. Um, my favorite is uh, Beauty and the Beast of all the Disney movies and just movies in general. My number one pick is still the original Mary Poppins because it's still it's still my go to movie when I want to just like relax and just like watch something fun. It's like that's it. So it's it's great. Wow. And so yeah, that's that's my ranking. <laughs> JD, on a scale of 1 to 10, pre and post. Go! <laughs> okay, first of all, I will say, yeah, I think Mary Poppins is my number one Disney movie. I think it is my go-to. It's 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 tough to beat that. But then that means that, for me, for, for Walt's life, when I think about all of the different things that I love about Disney movies, there are a few of them here, but I don't know. I feel like compared to a lot of the shorts that I really like and compared to even for me, even compared to Snow White, but certainly compared to something later like Cinderella, Pinocchio gets about an eight. I think that's me being kind of kind to it, um, but also recognizing that it's as an anime as a work of animation, it's quite an achievement. I think as a story, it is all over the place. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> but, but I think that I have problems with just about every character in this movie. I have problems with just about every story beat. I think a lot of it is filler, particularly at the front end. But it's charming and it's impressive and the music is really good and I love so much of the animation and it's just the fluidity of it. Everything with Giddy is just so beautifully done. The way that he just kind of slides around and everything flops so wonderfully. I know it's weird to compliment the flopping, but I love it. I love the flopping of the clothing and the textures yeah, and all of it. It's hand-drawn so, animation. It's not computer. It's, it's hand-drawn hand animation. You can't beat it. It's uh, so I'd give it. I'd say for that time period, I think I'd give it an eight, maybe a nine. For now, though, because again, I'm thinking about the Renaissance stuff and Beauty and the Beast in particular. I'm giving Pinocchio a four. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a four. It's mediocre. Ouch. Yeah. Burn. Not Burn my kind of Disney water. movie. I liked it. I liked it better watching it today than I did watching it a few months ago. I will say it. It grows on you as you see it more and more. It grows on you. Like acne. But that just means that, yes. But that, <laughs> but that just means that before I would have given it a two or three, and now I'm up to a four, and maybe next time I'll be up to a five or six. So we shall see. Wow. We shall see. Noel, thank you very much for coming. Thank you very whoa, much for putting whoa, whoa. up with my whoa, bad rating of this movie. Do I not get whoa. to comment on? On like I'm during, sorry. After, <laughs> like I don't do. You, we're out of time. <laughs> oh, fine. Okay. Okay. Fine. You just you just look after the, the guests. The band That's is fine. already playing us off. Fine. Fine. I give it a ten. <laughs> yeah, okay. But that's the thing, Nick, your review is already kind of predictable. We know that you love this stuff. You said in the last episode you're just a fan. Yeah. Well, they See, are. There you go. Point is what? <laughs> that just sums up your existence. You're a fan, Nicholas. If you yep. if you give it a ten for its time, what do you give it for now, Nick? A ten. Still a I ten think, on I both think, accounts. I think, and I think, I think the reason why it still holds up is it is hand drawn animation. 
I think I think technically it is bloody brilliant, you know. And it, I'm not slagging off on you know computer stuff, but think about all the work that had to go into it. Yes, there are some spots with the story, fine. But to me, that is not worth registering because of the little bits that I see. I think it's just a stunning piece of art. See, and that's why this works, Noel. Because we're totally different in our opinions on this. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I think that we might in the future change the way that we handle ratings to actually <laughs> lead with how different our stances are on the movie so that we know that from the starting point and then that's the through line, is trying to get to now, some consensus and work through the differences there. Rescuers Down Under, I would give that like a four. But Fair it's enough. so much better than The Rescuers. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Okay, you're not coming on the podcast again. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. For what it's worth, I don't remember either movie. I've seen them both. I can't remember what happens in either of them. See, the so. Rescuers the rescuers and the Rescuers Down Under, for me, just kind of continued this sort of thread of there's this whole mouse subculture that we got, <laughs> that we got introduced to with the great mouse detective. And it right. just continues now with the rescuers and then the rescuers down under. So for me, that's just incredibly entertaining that there's this whole little subculture that Disney kind of accidentally created. And it's just like, kind of like gone, gone from there. And it's like, and then kind of Pixar continued like with Ratatouille. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, this just goes from there, but this was and great And then guys. with Don Bluth being part of the Disney podcast, D Disney uh, company, and then going off to do an American tale, I think they're cousins. There's a cousin community. Yeah, it's true. Now that I think about it, across studios, the world of animated features loves the idea that there is another civilization run by mice that none of us notice and will never really do anything about it. Exactly. We're just kind of sitting back, waiting until humans are all done, and then finally... <laughs> take over. I'll take over. I mean, you know... At the time when we're recording this, it's 2020. I think it's it's probably going... If any year was the year when the mice would get to take over and take our place, I think it would be now. That's it. Yeah. And I wish the mice well. <laughs> Cheers. And on that note... Thank you, guys. This was great. Thank you so much for taking part, Noel. Sure. Thanks, yes, everybody, for thank listening. You for, thank you for humoring us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody, please uh, rate, review in iTunes, all that good stuff. And um, uh, no, you know, where uh, can people find you on social media? Way too many places. There's, <laughs> I'm on, I'm N McNeil on Twitter. I'm no, oh no, I'm I'm Noel McNeil on Twitter. I'm N McNeil on Instagram. Um, I also have my accounts for the show I'm trying to create for autistic kids and special needs kids. The Show Me Show, which has an account on YouTube, and um, I've also got uh, my podcast called Noel's Book Nook, where I read stories. So it's been very interesting reading some of these traditional, like, uh, and chapters from uh, fairy tales and, and stories and just seeing how they've changed. Um, one of the recent ones I did was uh, the, little, uh, the Little Mermaid. And boy, did that get changed. And spoiler <laughs> alert, in the original, there is no singing crab. So, <laughs> and you can hear it on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify and Anchor and places like that. And of course, TikTok. And yes, I'm and also on the TikTok. <laughs> you are a celebrity going viral on TikTok. <laughs> and on Cameo, too. So yes. That's right. Well, uh, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. yeah but so, on that yeah. note, on that note, my name is Nicholas Lemon. 
I'm J.D. Hansel, and I'm a real boy. Cut! Yeah! Yeah!